0: On today's edition of Establish the Edge, I'm going to be talking about Underdog Best Ball Mania 3 before we dive into the episode. Do want to let people know that if you are a first-time depositor on Underdog, use the link in the show description and you can get up to a $100 deposit bonus. You can also use promo code ETR to get your $100 deposit bonus. So Take advantage of that and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to Establish the Edge. I'm your host, Mike Leone, with an exciting podcast here today. Going to be breaking down the announcement of Underdogs Best Ball Mania 3 and the $10 million prize pool that they have going on. And no one better to break that down than bringing on Justin Herzig, the winner of the original Best Ball Mania. So, Justin, welcome. Thank you for joining me.
1: Cheers. It's good to be here. It is, uh, gosh, it's May 9th. It is so early, and we are already a week into drafting the best ball mania. Uh, it's fantastic, it's gonna be fun.
0: We literally have four months of this, I was <laughs> thinking about it. four like full months, and Justin is going to be doing some best ball underdog specific content for established to run excited to announce the summer of best ball with Justin Herzig. Starting in June, he's going to be streaming a couple times a week doing live underdog drafts. I think once a week he'll do it solo. So, uh, you know, people like me don't bother him with terrible suggestions. And then once a week, he'll have on some guests from ETR from the industry and whatnot. So Justin, we're really excited to, to witness this. Yeah, I gotta,
1: I gotta lobby underdog to maybe, ma- you know, raise that 150 cap or something. I know there might be some state by state DFS <laughs> regulation, but uh, gosh, I am losing out equity on doing these live streams, but they're gonna be a blast. I'm hoping the amount that I can learn from doing these, interactive with chat and bringing on some friends and family, uh, from both ETR and beyond, will be helpful. But uh, yeah, th- those will be great because at the end of the day, it's. Those are going to be like, hey, interactive. We're going to find a time that works best for you all. It'll be a good way to kind of share how my thinking is going, how things are progressing. Obviously, we'll touch on high-level strategy, but also throughout the summer, this news that pops out that, hey, the ETR guys are giving us the news, all help us think and convert to, okay, what are we actually going to do in real time to really take advantage of that as we do these drafts?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And today we're going to be looking at Macro strategy, how to attack a tournament of this beast. You know, we haven't seen one of this size before. And, you know, there's some stuff that, you know, good best ball strategy is going to translate to any format, but there are some other quirks and tweaks that might make this a little bit different. I know, you know, Eric Bimefor, who I listen to a lot on the best ball stuff over at Spike Week, he, you know, he's noted to some extent, it's hard to even know what the best strategy is. And even... After the season has played out, there's going to be so much variance that we might not even know what the best strategy was. But Justin and I are going to try and figure out the best strategy based on the format. Of course, you get a $10 million prize pool, which I mentioned, $2 million to the overall playoff winner, $1 million to second place, $1 million to the regular season champion high score. And, um, yeah, just crazy prizes, but absurdly top heavy, even in that final 10th place is 1% of first place, which is very low. I know in DFS, I'm trying to find 10th place being at 10% of first place. So, you know, we're, we're at 10% of that. So, um, very top heavy and the playoffs, the way they're going to work two out of 12 teams are going to advance out of the regular season. The regular season being weeks one through 14 top two scoring teams advance. Then there's a 10-person quarterfinals. The winner advances, 16-person semifinals, winner advances, and a 470-person final, which, Justin, I believe is about double last year. Is that correct? It started so
1: two years ago when I won, it was 50. Last year, it was 160, and now we're
0: 470. So you're almost three full X, yeah. So right off the bat, you know, not even leading you in any specific direction. Like what are your initial reactions to the announcement?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I love it. I think it's extremely impressive how much this has grown um, in such a short period of time. Um, I remember, you know, when we were grinding just these small like 12 man and three men's where there was no major tournament. And then we were ecstatic that there was a 200 uh, K to first two years ago and such. And so, yeah, to go from 200 K two years ago to first to 2 million now and that larger 10 million, I think it's fantastic. And uh, I think it's also just a testament to, Not only like, you know, from a product and things that have always been done fantastically well, but how popular this style is. And I think that's why we've kind of gravitated so much to it. Um, But I think from a strategy wise, so starting off at the top um, or, you know, we'll go with the numbers. So the advance rates aren't that much different than last year. Um, So the two out of 12 from your regular season is the same as last year. No difference there. Uh, The next round, I believe last year it was two out of 18 advance. This year it's one out of 10. So approximately the same rate. Last year, it was one out of 18 for that you know, penultimate one. This year, it's one out of 16. And then, obviously, the big change is with the 470 number. And that's what we'll definitely get to. I have a question for you, though, because I'm I'm still thinking on this. That million dollars for the regular season winner, is that going to change your drafting strategy at all?
0: I don't think so because it's so... I mean, only one person's getting that. There's no second place prize to it. You ha- I, I want to say you have to beat out so many more teams than you do in the finals, but like ultimately you have to beat out the same amount of teams to win the playoff finals, even though I think mentally it feels less daunting. But for me, I mean, I'm trying to build monster teams to begin with. And, you know, that's kind of my goal. Like, how do I build monster teams? And that should lend itself to give me a little bit of a chance there. I guess where my strategy might get hurt is even though I'm focused on advance rate, I think more than a lot of people, I am still placing emphasis on players that can break out over the second course this season. Players, you know, whether it's zero RB candidates or rookies, guys that can really come through in the playoff weeks. I mean, we saw Rashad Penny and Amon Ross St. Brown last year, a zero R B guy and a rookie that bloomed late in the year. And those types of players might hurt your equity at the regular season prize just because you might not score as much early. But I think if you're mixing and matching the right teams, it's not a huge difference because hopefully you're so healthy the first four weeks of the season that at least that it gets you through not needing some of those late breakout players. And then when the chaos of the season hits, hopefully they come through. So long-winded way of saying it's not going to change my strategy a ton, but I do think my strategy will will give me some chance at winning that. Yeah,
1: I think that was my first initial reaction. I still kind of lean it, but I've started trying to like just question it myself. First off, like it sucks to say like, hey, 10% of the prize pool, $1 million, you're building a team that has no chance of getting to that. And I do think there are substantial teams that are, can be built optimally for the playoffs that pretty much eliminate your chance of winning that regular season. And I think 0RB is a perfect example. If you come out the gate with zero RB, like the idea with zero RB is always like you're going to sacrifice some, you know, some points in those early rounds because you're hoping they break later on and you survive enough early on. Like you need to have that near perfect team. And a lot of the highest scoring is going to be about getting the right players. And so there's not much you can do from a strategy element there other than like, you know, hey, if you draft those six, seven wide receivers and they're very strong early, don't, you know, duplicate and get to nine wide receivers, blah, blah, blah. The same stuff we're using elsewhere. But I have thought like, hey, if I'm having an, a portfolio of 150 of these, I probably will when the time right, I won't go into the draft with it. But as the draft starts falling to me and I see that, OK, I haven't I mean, I've i been going for a little more of the uh, stronger guys who are coming out strong are, are healthy. I haven't had any rookies in the early picks like I probably will actually devote a few that really go for that strategy because. There's probably I was trying to think through the math and stuff. It's probably like 20 to 30 percent of teams in in a draft. So um, that really have a chance to get this based off. If you believe rookies do bloom a little later, if you aren't going to have a DeAndre Hopkins, if you aren't going to have maybe someone like a Will Fuller who like still hasn't signed, might have some early injury issues. No, Godwin, like going for I'm just saying like, hey, if you're thinking about going for that one million, don't go into the draft trying for it. But if you start your draft with players that you feel like, hey, this works out, I started off with a strong running back. Maybe started off with a strong core of the onesies as well. Maybe take that chance and say, okay, I'm going full at it. At the end of the draft, I'll go for Leone's guy Julio. I might go for a Sammy Watkins who's going to like still kind of have that production maybe for the first half of the season or so. That's important. Um, rather than let me go, you know, use these last couple picks for a young wide receiver, Romeo Dubs, who like. Dubs, Dubs. I don't know. Uh, may blossom near the end of the season, but like doesn't get you that. So I'm still thinking through. I agree, it's such a long shot, but like, I want at Like, I'm probably gonna go a couple of them as it fits.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. I guess where I struggle is even if you get started on a team that feels like it's going for like that regular season grand prize, don't you? St- I mean, you still probably want some rookies and stuff just because the balance of the season, you still probably want some late season bloomers, not to the extent of the playoffs, but you're going to get hit with injuries and stuff that having, you know, an eighth wide receiver that's contributing right out of the gate, their score might not even count early because the seven wide receivers in front of them are healthy and playing early. And if you, as you said, if you've already, if it's a team that you've identified as going for it, they're probably immediate contributors. So you might still want the rookie. So you do kind of want to strike that balance. To your point about, you know, zero RB and some of these builds, this is just last year, one year, anything can happen, but I pulled it up on the screen for anyone who's watching on the established run YouTube channel, but the zero RB teams did really well in terms of advance rate. They did very poorly in terms of top 1% rate and so so there were a lot less top 1% scores that you would expect relative to the baseline but especially relative to the very high advance rate and part of that reason is you're sacrificing a lot of points at your running back spots to start the year that other teams aren't um so teams that start with you know some of these guys that have volume that we think might fade down the season like they're still banking those points you know and and that goes a long way and they have the upside of banking those points all season long even if it's low probability whereas a zero rb team you don't even have that upside depending on which pieces you took. He just simply doesn't exist. Okay. So looking at some, some other strategy elements, I know one of the other things you said to me right off the gate in slack, and we're going back and forth on a little bit was that you were placing more emphasis on stacking this year than last year. My initial reaction was, you know, in DFS the way I look at it, the smaller the field, like almost the more I want to correlate. And as the field gets larger, I want to correlate. Not not necessarily less, but it becomes a little bit less important as the emphasis becomes on overall upside. So at first I was thinking, I don't know if this means you need to stack more, but thinking through it more, Justin, stacking in best ball is fundamentally different than stacking in DFS. In DFS, if I'm stacking Joe Burrow with T Higgins and Jamar Chase, you know, I have to use both of their scores. So if Chase goes ham and Higgins is just, meh I, you know, I'm using both of those scores and you can see where that's great in super small field, maybe not great in a million maker lotto in best ball. If I have Joe Burrow with T Higgins and Chase and Chase goes nuts and Higgins is, meh, I've got, you know, seven other wide receivers that can, can top Higgins's score. So I'm coming around a little bit more on the increased correlation, but once you talk through that a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's still very hard, even though 470 are going to be in that final round. It's still really hard to get there. As we said, the path to get there is not much different than before. It's just such a higher number because we have 470,000, 469,000 entries into this. Um, So all that stuff that we thought about, like, hey, I still want to make there. That's fantastic. But I'm going to be optimizing just about every one of my drafts For how do I capitalize on if this team makes it to that week 17, that this is a chance of literally getting first, second, third? Um, Because as we said, even 10th, it's 20K. 20K is fantastic, but that's not why we're playing this. And so, how do I optimize for week 17? If I consider what a 470 person GPP looks like, um, now this is like what 10x the size that Leone masters, but like, you know, it's still a good size. Um, If I get that, like, are you going to stack that lineup? Yeah, of course you are. Like now, maybe your argument for not stacking is because there's some game theory aspect and everyone else's or whatever, but you can ignore that because there's gonna be enough in this tournament that are not stacked just because of the way people draft and such. Like, I do want to stack. Okay. Now, in that week, how can I get an edge? Okay couple things that I've been thinking through, like one, okay, this is week 17. This is weather related. Maybe there's games that are in domes. Maybe there's games that are going to be uh, in better weather. Like that's a small thing that we probably want to pay attention to. The game stack aspect. Last year, the one that almost got me the DK Millie was um, the uh, um, Cincinnati-Kansas City game. That game completely blew up. So if you didn't have the Burrow Chase and then I had Darrell Williams on the other side, which is a late round pick, but like he ended up putting 25 points up, like that was the game stack that that environment allowed the teams to finish near the top there. And so again, I think schedule comes down in a few days. I'm going to be looking there to see where in week 17 do I find highlight games that have that opportunity. Now, when we specifically think about stacking, one thing that I'm kind of going to explore and dive into a little more this summer is handcuffs, and not only running back handcuffs, but also wide receiver handcuffs, and the idea of kind of stacking a full team because. We want to get unique. And yes, when I had the Alvin Kamara one, there were only 50 teams. I was the only one with Alvin. Like that was extremely lucky, very unlikely to happen again, but think through why that happened. It was because the rest of my team was able to do well while Alvin Kamara just didn't do that great in the playoffs until then. So that's why he was a bit unique. How can we create maybe, or, you know, uh, open ourselves up to situations like that this year. And so, Handcuffs, I think, is a really interesting one where let's start with the, the, you know, the simple running back one. Strategically, we say you want to draft for when you're right. OK, so if I'm drafting for when I'm right and I have Dalvin Cook and I draft him in the first round, I probably want Dalvin Cook to have an amazing season. And in that case, Alexander Madison is probably a waste. Or if Dalvin Cook goes down, you know, already my EV is pretty low. Is it really worth me drafting Madison? traditionally I say, no, that's not what we do. But this year I'm trying to get a little more creative and think, okay, is there actually a place for that? And my thinking is, what if you have Dalvin cook has that amazing season? He's the one who gets you to the playoffs. He has a very high ownership. Not many people in best ball are stacking. And in week 16, he goes down or maybe he has a great game, but gets hurt in the fourth quarter. So now we're in that 470 pool and Dalvin cook is very highly owned But Alexander Madison has a great matchup, and he's the one who now puts up a 30-burger. How many people have that? Now, yes, this is a very specific situation, it could be the other way around, where Alexander Madison was the one who's actually healthy for the first playoff weeks, gets you to that championship, but now Dalvin's the one who's the unique own, and he's the one who goes off. Like, yes, these are still very specific, detailed things, but it's how I'm trying to think through, like, what narrative gets me to that playoffs with unique players. And I think there's a couple other ones that we can either touch on or I'll touch on throughout the summer. Um, But I'm always trying to think through what scenario gets me a substantial edge for that week 17.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, I even last year, that was something that I talked through and ultimately it's not a strategy. I tried. I think if you got really good value on it, it makes sense. And there's a potential you could get pretty good value on it. Um, I'm just greedy where I'm like, I don't know, give me, give me Kenny Gainwell over Alexander Madison and like, let me hope Kenny Gainwell just goes kind of nuts that week that Dalvin's down and I still get my Dalvin team through. And part of, uh, I'm, I'm trying to expand my horizons a little bit this, this year, but the way my brain works a little bit is if I'm just advancing teams at a super high rate, way more than everybody else. I'm more likely to have that Alvin Kamara team that gets through, like regardless of how it's structured, just based on on pure numbers. And like you said, we're not gonna get a situation where only one team has Alvin Kamara, but one but one out of 50, that rate, you know, like, like maybe only 12 teams have Alvin Kamara, and that's amazing as well in the final. So it's there's just so much chaos. And I think through that with the stacking, too, you know, you hit on the, the Cincy kc game but you know some of the main guys on kc kind of struggled in that game just the way it went and kelsey and hill like they were okay but they they weren't huge and then the seattle detroit game in bad weather with two shitty teams <laughs> blows up and it's two guys that you i don't know if you would have correlated at all even thought to correlate with amon um, and brown and penny and i don't want to get like it's one example and in a weird way the example works both ways like from my perspective, it's like, you would have never stacked that game. But I do think from someone else's perspective, it's like, well, why not correlate your late picks at least a little bit? Be, you, you've got the chance to get lucky. And clearly the correlation did matter, even though it wasn't you know, one that in this particular instance we were able to right. predict.
1: And so let, let's double click into the Kenny Gamewell example you gave where you're like, I'm greedy. Maybe Kenneth Gamewell, I grab him and he ends up going off instead of the Madison. I think there's two things that we need to do it we would need to kind of dive a little further into. One is Kenneth Gainwell random chance that his ownership, most likely out of 470, he'll be owned by, I don't know, like, you know, whatever the random chance is, so like eight percent or something. Um, Madison, if Dalvin Cook has a huge season, if Dalvin Cook does well in the playoffs, is Madison more or less likely to be owned in that situation than the eight percent? And I think that's based off how often are people handcuffing? Yes. Um, and so it, we'd have to go look. And I know from just my drafting, I think it's a pretty rare because I think across the industry, we've said handcuffing is not the right play. And so that's what a lot of this philosophy is based on. Uh, the second is, and where you talked about like, I do we have to get it perfect with the kind of matchups and stuff? Well, one of the others is I think why I want to stack more is I think there's more benefit now to doing team stacks for that exact reason where you have 18 people. So yeah, maybe... Let's use a Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Burrow situation. So first off, if I have that stack, if I have the QB with his top two wide receivers, or really just QB and any two wide receivers, there's positive value for you to increase to the playoffs because we are making a bet on that team, all the things around just a normal, just, hey, a little heavier stack. I think in this situation, it also becomes even more valuable because if you have two guys who have the potential for upside it now is not limited to the running back situation where you need an injury. You need a back and forth. This is now just a, hey, game situation. Jamar Chase goes off, goes off in the two first two weeks of the playoffs, gets you to the final. But it's a T. Higgins or a Tyler Boyd week in the championship. Now, if you have him, you're still getting that correlation aspect with your QB. But it's not a, you know, they are probably not as highly owned as the Jamar Chase who went off beforehand. So that's where I'm thinking through like, hey, maybe there's a, we call it handcuffs, but maybe it's just a larger game stack aspect um, and thinking through. And then the third, I'll say, Ezekiel, uh, so um, Madison and Dalvin's always an interesting example to bring up just because we've seen Madison's upside when Dalvin does go down. But historically, Madison also has had like a decent price tag. Um, and so you are giving up some equity by drafting him. I'm probably more likely to think through like, Hey, where are some of the RB handcuff situations where it's two guys that are maybe later that uh,
0: maybe, um,
1: you know, I was thinking through like James I mean, Connor
0: and Ingram or James Connor and Benjamin, maybe. I don't know. Yeah.
1: And like, that's definitely a possibility, but also even later around in Edmonds and Mostert, um, you know, Raheem, And so if we believe like those are the two, now it's like, you're not giving up, you know, substantial capital anywhere at all early on. It could just be a bet that that offense is a bit more run heavy and they have, you know, success throughout. Um, And now if it does play out, like we're saying, you've got the perfect situation and you didn't give up a first, what, six, seven, eight round, you know, pick to
0: get there. Yeah. That's, and that's almost more equivalent to stacking wide receivers at that point where, they're both going to see the field. They both could be usable at the same time, but you do have that extra benefit if one goes down and the other one has a huge week. And in general, a lot of stuff you're saying is backed up by the research I've done on stacking, which is basically uh, the biggest benefit is if a team is just successful, <laughs> it just has a good season offensively, everybody is going to do perform better than what their ADP was most likely. Like it's, it's kind of that simple, but how it's distributed, it's not going to be uniformly, it's going to be kind of chaotic and we can take advantage of those distributions. Uh, The only, I guess, other like tiny pushback would be, you know, there is some opportunity cost as you build more and more from the same team and, and making sure you get through, like, do you have enough, you know, other bodies, but it's, it's a bet on an offense overall. I think it makes sense. And sticking with the unique theme I've seen some people discuss getting unique by just taking weird combinations early in drafts. Uh, I see you shaking your head. We're, we're aligned on this where I really don't like taking, let's say like Stefan Diggs at the 102 just because no one else is going to do it. Uh, there's a few reasons why. Um, one, I'll say Madison Parkhill makes a good case for the strategy of Rotoviz, Sharp guy, you can follow him on Twitter at Madison Parkhill, but even he will know he's more likely to do it in like the best ball puppy that lasts for a week and gets sold out and the ADP's are kind of rigid but Justin we're drafting as we noted off the top for 4 months the ADP's are going to change so one i mean what you you're doing that you think's unique might just be matched better later on as ADP shift um so you might be giving up value and not even getting unique and two i've seen research from myself from Hayden Winks That basically says ADP value is a predictor of team success, both in terms of advance rate and on the upside standpoint. I mean, that's why we bake in ADP into our rankings a little bit. Um, Getting value is important, both in terms of respecting the market and in terms of if I want to build monster teams, I have to take some chances and hope, okay, let me take this guy a little bit earlier because this other guy might fall, even though I have it ranked the opposite way.
1: Yeah. And as you said, like, so I think the biggest things are ADP will change throughout. So any edge you're getting right now, it's got to be taken into account. What's the chance that it actually sticks in that situation? And I think it's kind of, um, I'm also like, I mean, (laughs) it's underdog. People are drafting the toilet. People are drafting at 2am when they're drunk. Like you're going to have enough random, um, just like bad picks that have value fall for everyone else. That like what you thought might be value might, might be unique. Someone else actually got that same combo, but they also threw in a Christian McCaffrey or Jonathan Taylor or someone early on. Um, I think, and there was an interesting, someone was mentioning on Twitter the other day um, that like, hey, they want to use the strategy of, let me try to find that extremely low-owned guy that's not even being drafted, um, because that's a way that you can get a unique player. And uh, this is something that I've been a heavy proponent of, um, always trying to look for like my last round is either going to correlate or someone who's very unique, but I'm not doing that now. Because if you think that, you know, Benjamin is the guy that no one's drafting right now, well, not only do you have to be right that he's actually going to be the major play for you as the season goes mm-hmm. through and puts value there, but you're also making a bet that he's not during the offseason going to get positive camp reports and start turning himself into a seventeenth, eighteenth round pick. Because if he does that, now you've lost that uniqueness and you've lost that edge and you're only doing it, you're you're, you're decreasing your equity by doing it right now. So for now, you know. I want to use that unique strategy in the last, I'd say, maybe August, last few weeks of the season when it's like, hey, I know that like if I draft this player, he hasn't been hot in May. He wasn't hot anywhere through the summer. He hasn't been being drafted. Now, if I'm actually taking him, I know I'm getting him at overall tournament ownership of like less than 5%, less than
0: 10%. Yeah, that's a good point because I'm also a big proponent of getting unique late where the opportunity cost is lower. But I literally have in my show notes more of a guarantee of being unique. And essentially what you're saying is if you're drafting right now very early, uh, we remove that one plus advantage, which is we're not guaranteeing the player is gonna be unique because a lot can change. So I didn't thought through that. And that dovetails into something else I wanted to ask you about. Is you're gonna do a full 150. I did 75 last year. You know, when when are you gonna draft these teams? I know Jack Miller has done some work for us that basically shows even though ADP gets sharper, like towards the end of the season, that more casual people draft. And I don't know if it's that more casual people draft or the known information makes your teams less dead, even though you're dealing with the same information kind of advantage or disadvantage as the rest of your league mates. But he says the later you draft, it kind of, it's better, you know, for basically the upside of your team, how many points that they're going to score. Of course, advance rates are the same because it's two out of 12, no matter when you draft.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, if you are only doing underdog and you're only doing best ball drafts for the expected value aspect, you're probably doing this wrong. Like you're holding up money for however (laughs) long you're spending 45 minutes or so for every single draft. Like, Yes, we obviously, with the hobbies and the things we enjoy, we, it's nice when you can make a little money off of it too. But like, I think that's the kind of thought process I'm taking through this, and many should as well. Like, hey, you've got a fun summer. If you're going to do however you're going to do, Like, yes, there probably is a bit of a little edge later on. There's also an argument that for that million-dollar regular season, doing it earlier is better because that's how you can get the crazy outlier because of the injury aspects and such. Um, but for me personally, I think the main thing that I've been doing, I'm like, okay, I'm at least going to wait until the schedule comes out. And I believe that's May 12th because that's where so much of my week 17, like I want to, I'm going to have that schedule memorized within a couple of days. Like, i just want that to be at the minimal focus of how am I optimizing for that week 17, uh, beyond that, I think for me personally, I'm going to be, you know, drafting throughout the summer. Um, yes, there probably is some edge, but the other thing is come August, like there's going to be a lot of other sites that are also doing best ball too. And so it's not really just from a time management aspect or possible to say, okay, I'm going to do a hundred of mine, 150 of mine in August because that's the best opportunity. Okay. Well now you've got these other sites as well. I'm like, it's difficult. It's fun. Um, so that's where like, I'm, I'm, I'm optimizing for just make it a fun summer draft when you yeah. want, there is a little edge at the end, maybe, but like it's not so substantial that it's like worth you saying, okay, I'm only going to you know make this a job in August and not do any early on. Like,
0: that's that's completely fair and overly reasonable from you Herzig. We need to grind EV and squeeze every bit of EV out as possible, man, okay? But I I do feel like too that there might be some this might be pure rationalization, but some like the top 1% of the top 1% like you might have an edge earlier where if you just you just run pure on the injuries and stuff, you have you do have more potential for ADP value um like that's for sure you just also have a lot more it's just that dead, i guess dead roster spots are just such a killer and you have more opportunities for those that um if you can make it through without dead roster spots and get the adp value it's a big boon anecdotally too i just i felt like i liked my teams better but maybe that's because the ship chasers ruined the adp over the course of the summer last season um
1: and i, and I know that like i mean it's only two years of data and i believe the last two years the highest scoring regular season team was drafted later on but I still intuitively feel like for the actual million dollar regular season, there is some form of edge to drafting early on. There's also going to be edge drafting at the very end. But I do feel like if you're trying to get that elite 0001 percent, like there is some reason why you should be drafting now uh, for the tournament style. I think that's where like, hey, hitting that absolute nut team, the elite team, the amazing team. When you go to the playoffs, you still have to advance two out of twelve, one out of. 18 one out of whatever um your elite team might still be a 15 point favorite over everyone else in your group and you're still probably only increasing your expected uh percent, you know advance rate by like 2x
0: yeah and final thing so we talked about when to draft but slow drafts versus fast drafts i i just i have a hard time carving out time for the fast drafts. I like to just load up on slow drafts, but man, Justin, I see some screenshots sometimes from some of these fast drafts. It seems like, I mean, I'm sure they're not all easier than the slow drafts, but it does seem like your odds of running into just something weird happening with one team's thinking or guys falling and whatnot does seem to increase a little bit more frequently with the fast drafts. What's your thought on that?
1: All right. So I'll start off from a strategic aspect. Fast drafts are definitely higher EV than slow drafts. Um, and the reason's because if you auto draft in a half hour period, just because you're not around your phone, like you're going to have a full auto drafter where if you are in a slow draft and someone auto drafts and might miss a pick or two, but they'll probably come back around. Also, we talked about kind of the like late night drafting, maybe get a little drunk or whatever. Very, very few people who are drafting are drunk for an entire like three week period. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's very possible that for a half hour, you were kind of drinking a little and having fun and you're drafting with your friends and such. Um, and then also, as you draft more and you feel more comfortable, like that 30 second clock for people who have not been drafting much or are not, you know, just as, you know, experienced, that's a lot of pressure and they're going to make mistakes. You're not going to make that strategic mistake in that eight hour period that you have in between. Um, so as you get better, as you get more comfortable with ADP, as you get more comfortable with what's happening in week 17 and how you want to strategize and stuff fast drafts are better there. I'll pause and say that strategically. I I think it's interesting what you said, but for me, from a mental health perspective, and I learned this about a year or two ago, the slow drafts, I have a better mental health aspect when I don't do any slow drafts. Because when I'm always on the clock, when I'm always thinking what's coming next, when I would go to bed at night thinking like, "Uh uh-oh, am I going to miss a pick? Do I need to do an auto draft? Like That honestly just bogged me and just like drained me mentally. And so I've decided now, like, I only do fast drafts because those fast drafts, okay, I know I have 40 minutes, I'm going to go do this, I'll, you know, do one lane in bed or whatever. And my, my time, my resource is focused on just that. And, uh, or like my, I'm doing a lot, but I'm saying like my time cap is kind of limited where the slow drafts for me kind of just like, I get exhausted and mentally drained. Uh, so that's another reason why I stay away from those.
0: Man, about to end the podcast, and I just want to dovetail into mental health and phone addiction and detachment, but we'll we'll have to save that for, for another day. Herzig and I are going to put some of what we're talking about into practice. So we're doing and right after this, we're gonna do a stream for establish the run draft kit subscribers. Of of drafting an underdog best ball mania three team with Mark Dank and bring is going to join us. The established run draft kit is launching this week, so just keep an eye out on the established run Twitter feed and on the website. If you do join and become a draft kit member, you'll be able to see this stream and so much more stuff. And if you're listening on the main ETR feed, please subscribe to my podcast, Establish the Edge. Have a lot of episodes like this one I just recorded. With Justin, a lot of Dynasty content coming out about now. I just released a podcast called Win Your Rookie Draft, outlining my strategy for Superflex Titan fre- premium Dynasty rookie drafts. Getting very niche with that, Justin. Um, but yeah, check that out. Rate, review us on iTunes. If you're watching the simulcast on Established Run YouTube channel, subscribe, like us, all that stuff. Helps us continue to put out quality free content. And best of luck this ball season.